Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Ezra 5 verse 1 about the restoration of the temple is now resumed again. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, if I'm saying that right, I'm not Hebrew, so don't hold it against me. Prophets, they prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Look at that, the name of the God of Israel. When you tell people who you believe in, don't just say G-O-D God. You specify his name. It's the God of Israel. Verse 2. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Their worship was centered in that temple. They needed that temple. Of all people, you would think the prophet said, hey, give me a shovel, give me a hammer or something, let me do something, okay? So now that the temple work is back on again, these two men here that we read about, the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, says they came to prophesy. They came to prophesy. In other words, they came to proclaim the word of God to them to tell them what the future holds. And they told them what was going to happen. And I think it was specifically that their work in rebuilding the temple was going to succeed because the Lord God himself was in this work. The people of Judah, you think about it, they really needed encouragement to be able to rise back up in their kingdom service. I know there's times you want to do service towards the Lord and you're just flat out. You've been hit. You've been bombarded. Uh, you don't feel good. Everybody hates me. Everybody's against me. That's the way Judah felt at, at this point in time. But we all need somebody somewhere to encourage us and lift us back up after we've been stuck under a burden, under defeat for such a long time. And if you want to know what these two men preached about in their encouragement, they wrote their own books. Now, what do you think the books are they wrote? They wrote. They wrote Haggai and Zechariah. <laughs> Pretty simple, okay? So if you want to know probably what they talked about, go read those two books. The two books, they dealt with their disobedience. Judah disobeyed God, and that was the cause of why the temple was destroyed and why they were dragged away. But now they're back. And I think it's a wonderful story how this whole story for Judah arcs over of maybe their past 100 years or so at this point. They sinned against the Lord. They were deported and dragged off for it. They were held captive, dragged away by the Babylonians, just like God told them was coming. But after their time of humility and captivity for a very long time, because of God's love and because of his covenant promises, that's something we need to understand is covenant promise. A lot of people think that God will make promises to you and that if you are bad this much, he'll retract it all back away again. You got to understand covenant. Covenant is a sealed deal. Look at David. He was a covenant man. He committed adultery. 
He murdered. Oh, lost the whole covenant. No, that's not what happened. God says, I put covenant on you. I'm going to keep it. Now, David paid for his mistakes big time. But we have to understand covenant promise. So it was because of God's love and his covenant promises that he made with Judah. He brought them back. That's you and I in this story. I messed up big time in my life, but God loved me enough to bring me back and put me in covenant, salvation covenant. So he brought them back. And he even personally saw to it that they were encouraged back up again. So he sent them these two prophets to encourage them back up. Wow, what a God we serve. I don't deserve it. Neither did they. So let's consider that these people, they had been held captive in Babylon for 70 years. And even after God brought them back to their own land again, their efforts at restoring the temple to the center of the worship of God, that was stalled for 18 years, almost 20 years. So you're looking at 70 plus about 20, almost 90 years. This is almost near 100 years that they feel like, man, we're still in defeat. These people are hurt. These people are discouraged. They've been under defeat for such a long time that the first thing they needed before getting back to work on that temple is encouragement. You know, when people are hurt for a long time, that's all they know is hurt. I was talking to a guy the other day when I had my back trouble initially before I had surgery and I had the sciatic trouble in my leg. I was walking with a limp all the time. It was so bad, I almost couldn't walk. Well, after the surgery, the pain was gone. And I, I felt great. Now, it's come, kind of coming back again, but for a period of time, I felt wonderful. And somebody asked me, well, Ray, do you hurt anymore? I said, not right now. He goes, well, why are you still limping? And I checked myself, son of a gun, I am limping. Why was I limping? Because that's all I knew how to do. That's the walk I developed. And when you develop a walk of pain, it kind of sticks. So somebody had to come after me and say, you need to learn to walk without a limp now if you can. And I'm like, okay, that's weird, but all right. So I started walking I'm like, hey, this is actually better. What, what was I doing that for? Because it's all I'd ever known. We have to be encouraged. Somebody had to come to me and say, Ray, you shouldn't be walking like that. You should be walking better. And figuratively, I try to gently tell that to a lot of Christians. If you're saved in Jesus, you shouldn't be walking like that anymore. That's your old life. You need to walk better than that. Well, how do I walk? Let me help you. We'll help you get, get that limp out of your spiritual walk. They've been hurt. They've been defeated. They needed encouragement. You can't really go and build this temple with the right heart. Hallelujah. If you're defeated, you can't walk with God right as much as you could be if you're defeated. It's hard to function in life and do anything when all you've known in your entire life is defeat after defeat, hindrance after hindrance, Always a door slammed in your face when all you're trying to do is get back up and serve the Lord. You ever been there? I have been there. I was there last week. Probably was put through that last week so I could understand this message better. But these guys, Judah, they really needed encouragement. And God knew that they needed encouragement. I think that's what's important for us to realize today. God knew they needed encouragement, so he sent them people. If you are discouraged today... Realize that God is sending you somebody to encouragement uh, to encourage you. At least me, at least me today, telling you, be encouraged in the Lord God. I'll start with this. If nobody has ever told you they love you in a long time, let me tell you that I do. Even if I just met you today for the first time or last week or whatever, I love y'all in the body of Christ, 
And I'm not the only one, I guarantee you. So if you hadn't heard it in a long time, take it from me. Be encouraged, okay? Boom. Notch up. Let's keep going. These guys needed encouragement. So God brought them two men to encourage them. And I want you to take particular notice how they encouraged them. They didn't just walk up and pat them on the back and say, oh, you can do it. They didn't just come up and say, oh, get up. Come on. You're a better man than that. Or, you know, you're such a fine woman. Did you notice how they did it? They encouraged them through prophesying. They encouraged them through the preaching of God's word. That is real encouragement. I could stand up here and puff it up and fluff it and talk motivational talk with no scripture whatsoever, and it's not going to last much longer than when you get out the door. It's like cotton candy. Sweet for a second and it's gone. I'm going to give you the word of God. This is how you really get encouraged. If you're not hearing God's word, no wonder you're discouraged. You've got to hear God's word. So they were encouraged by God's word, the preaching of God's word. Isn't it amazing that God can look at a people, including us, a people that rejected him, that told him, no, I'm doing things my way, turned their backs on him, and that he would still care to encourage them at all. That's our God, the God of Israel. So let's go on and see what's happening here in Ezra 5, verse 3. And look at this. At the time, Tatnai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shluha, here we go, Shethar Boznai, almost said Banzai, Shethar Boznai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. Okay, so you see so far, Darius doesn't know yet. He's got to get a report on this, but they couldn't make them stop. Friends, did you see what it said? Nobody could make them stop because the eye of their God was upon them. If you are going to walk in under the Lord God, under his authority, and submit to him and acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, nobody can stop you from doing your work. If you stop doing work, it's because you stopped you from doing work. Nobody else can stop you. Now, they stopped them for 18 years on this building project, but they still sought the Lord. If you've come to a pause, come to a halt, keep praying, keep looking, keep pushing, nobody can stop you. That will pick back up again. I want to encourage you like these guys did, according to the word of the Lord, that that whatever God has started in you, he will finish. Amen? I couldn't sleep at night if I didn't know that. So good. So they couldn't make them stop. So we know from the previous chapter that Cyrus was the king that ordered the temple to be rebuilt, but then that international community came and shut it all down because they didn't like it. But a report had to be sent to the new king, Darius, so they could get back to work again because all this other pressure for so many several kings said, no, we don't like you doing this. So King Darius is on the throne. They need him now. So the temple rebuild finally resumed, and wouldn't you know it, what we just read, here comes yet another attempt to try to shut it down again. Don't you just hate it? When you think things are on track, here comes some knucklehead saying, no, I'm going to shut it down too. And that's what's happening. So at this point in the story, the Persian Empire, it pretty much covered all of the entire known world. They were the biggest that's ever been of of a kingdom. 
Being so vast, the king had a bunch of local governors that were spread around all over the land so that they would report back to the king of Persia. Now, the guy that reigned over Israel's territory was this guy that we read about named Tatnai. He was the one in charge of that region of the empire. And this fellow that we just read, uh, Shethar Bosnai, that was probably his assistant. They were probably the two top dogs there. So when Tatnai heard that they were rebuilding the temple, he figured it was his duty to investigate what in the world is going on here. What are y'all up to? It doesn't look right to me. So we know that the newest king on the throne was Persia's new king, Darius, but it was Cyrus that said they could build the temple. So Darius is on the throne. And I don't know about this. So I think some of these guys are trying to stir up trouble, hoping maybe Darius doesn't find out. But here comes this God's my duty to report. I'm going to report this. Well, guess what that's going to do? That's just going to let Darius know about the matter all over again. <laughs> you see how God takes some of their efforts to shut us down and uses it, uses it in his glory, right? Cyrus was the king from before. He said, no, y'all go build the temple and we will even pay for it from the royal treasury. So Darius doesn't know that Cyrus said this to them. He didn't know about the rebuild. So when Darius first took the throne, though, he had a lot of political opposition. Pretty much like every time we elect a new president of the United States, there's always a lot of people that hate the guy and there's always a lot of trouble. Okay, same thing with kings back then. So he had a lot of opponents that just did not like him. It's possible that Tatnai was looking to maybe use this temple rebuild project as just enough of a conflict to stir up trouble in the Persian Empire to maybe get King Darius dethroned, to give King Darius more trouble. Here's something that looks good. I think I'm going to use it. Let me go run that up to Darius and let's see what kind of trouble this stirs up. Uh, That's a possibility. It's not absolute in the text. I'm just suggesting in the climate of the times what could be. So even though King Cyrus from a long time ago, he gave orders for the temple to be rebuilt, he's gone now. That's no, he's no longer king. So Tatnai, he stuck his nose into the whole thing by asking them, who told you that you could do this? Who, told, who gave you permission that said you could do this? Don't you just love it? You're doing something at your house and somebody walks up and says, hey, who says you could plant that tree right there? <laughs> it's my house. <laughs> it's kind of, I, kind of, I kind of would feel like that. Who told you? Who authorized the temple rebuild? And give us the names. Tell us who's responsible for for this whole thing. You can see how pushy the guy is, right? He doesn't like it. Okay, so even though Judah was under someone's threat again, and whenever we get under threat too, the first thing you want to do is quit. Oh, no, I'm making people mad. I'm offending somebody. I better stop. That's what everybody says. Oh, you offended me. That means you got to stop. No, Christian, don't stop. Be right in how you're doing it. Know that you've got king permission, royal permission. You know, I've got the royal permission of God to go out and share the gospel message. And I have had friends, even some who claim to be Christians, telling me to stop doing it. You know, say it all, but don't say Jesus. I had one guy actually say, I asked, what? Don't say Jesus. He goes, just say God. Don't say Jesus, because if you tell them Jesus, then they're going to run off. And if they run off, then how are they going to hear about the Lord? I said, what? People are going to tell you to stop. They're going to give you flack. And it's not our place to go, okay, I quit. They refused to quit working because they knew that the eye of their God was watching over them. Christian, the world hates the God of Israel. They tell you, you need to stop. Who said you could do this? Who authorized? I want their names. I don't have to stop. I have permission 
from the king who told me I could do this. Don't quit. Remember that the eye of your God is upon you. Keep going. Now, just because King Cyrus was on their side, but was now gone, that didn't mean that God was gone or that God had forgotten about his command to rebuild this temple. Okay, so they knew not to quit because they knew that the Lord was at work in this, even though opposition was against them. Even though kings come and go, and even though governments will flip parties, one day it's this party in power, then it's this party in power, toggle back and forth, windshield wiper. But Christian, you keep going the way the Lord God has called you in his word to do. Regardless of the climate, the political climate, doesn't matter. The God of everywhere was at work. That's what I'm kind of calling this message, the God of everywhere, the God of everything. I'll show you why here in a minute. Ezra 5, verse 6. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai sent. The governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosnai and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king. They sent a letter to him in which was written, written thus, To Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea, to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid in the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. So it's like, hey, king, we're on to something and we're going to find out for you. Don't you just love us? Aren't we great? You should listen to us, king. We're doing you a big favor. Oh, come on. So Ezra, he apparently got a copy of this letter somehow, this correspondence to the king. He got a copy of it, and he put it in his book to show us. (laughs) He, He was trying to back up the story of how much trouble that the people of Judah had to work through. He gave us this this letter to say, look at the the mess that we had to deal with. And so in there in verse 8, where Tatnai said, he said the temple of the great God was being built. Now, when he said the great God, that does not mean that Tatnai believed in the God of Israel, because if he believed in the God of Israel, he would have applauded them and said, hey, good for you building that temple. As a matter of fact, let me help. Okay, so what did he mean when he said the great God over there? He didn't believe in it. Back then, people believed there were various gods that had power within local areas. Like there would have been a god of Alvin, there would have been a god of Friendswood, there would have been a god of Houston. And Houston's bigger, so that god would be more powerful. But the god of Alvin can't conquer the god of Houston in his territory. That's the way they believed. So if you, I want you to remember that time when Elijah had that contest on Mount Carmel. He had those Baal worshippers up there. And he said, you put up a a sacrifice to your God, Baal, and we'll put up a sacrifice to the God of Israel, and we'll do whatever we can do and call down fire and see who burns up the sacrifice. And the people of Baal, they danced around and did all these crazy things all day. No fire showed up. Elijah called fire down, and it burned up all the sacrifices, even though they dumped water all over it. Now, what's significant about this uh, story It was quite a shock when the God of Israel burned it all up, but Baal couldn't do a thing because where they had that contest on Carmel, that was considered Baal's territory. This is Baal's area. And Elijah said, okay, I'll put my God against yours. 
in his territory up on a hill in the highest place, as close as we can get up high to your Baal God, where the chances of the God of Israel has the least likely effect, we'll, we'll do this. Okay, so they believed in localized God, but God is not localized. God is God over all creation. He is the God of everything, everywhere, all the time. Okay, you can see why Tatnai said the temple of the great God. He was basically saying that predominant God over there in Israel's region, that God over there, they're building to that great God over there. He wasn't personally worried about that great God over there because over where Tat and I lived, he, did, he felt, no, that God doesn't have anything over me. So Ezra included this little tattletale of a letter just so that we could see the seemingly impossibility that God was going to glorify himself through. They're writing to the big king. This God way over there, this is going to be easy for us to shut down because we're bigger. We have bigger gods. We're going to snuff this out again. And that was the intention. Ezra is trying to stack the odds to make it look like it can't happen. You know, when you watch a movie and you got the hero and the odds look against him like he can't win. But that's what's challenging about it. Let's see what he does to pull it off. Ezra's kind of like that. Let's see what God does to pull this off. So it's kind of heightening the, the tension a little bit. Ezra 5 verse 11. And thus they returned us an answer saying, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. Look at that. They didn't say just the God of over here. What did they say? We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. That is a bold statement to make. Heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. So they admitted, here's why the whole thing went south in the first place, because we're the ones that messed up. Friends, you've got to be willing to tell other people that you messed up. Don't try to act like you're all perfect, goody-two-shoe Christian. You tell people, that's part of your testimony. You explain, I messed up, and I messed up bad. Well, how are you doing this now, Ray? How are you? Because God brought me back. So I am going to build this church. I'm going to build this congregation. I'm going to encourage, and I ask you to walk with me because God told me to do it. The same, this is a parallel story that's what's going on here, is you in it. I love our good old tough-as-nails friends here, Zerubbabel and Jeshua. They are like the John Wayne of ancient Israel, okay? These guys are tough. They issued this response because Zerubbabel, he represented the governmental authority of Judah, while Jeshua represented the spiritual authority of Judah. They both responded in agreement. Now, isn't that great? Can you imagine if the United States had a spiritual authority that actually had a government position? Wouldn't that be nice? They had those things back then. But do you see how they responded? They said, this isn't just the God of over here. He is the God of everywhere. He is the God over heaven and all earth. They told Tatnai, he's the God of everything. He's even the God over where you live also. Whoa, now we're talking fighting words, aren't we? <laughs> that is a bold statement to reply with. Uh, that's what these guys said, <laughs> okay? Ooh. Our God is over even you.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.